because from the moment we're born, we're growing and changing. I mean, that's that's just happening. There's nothing you're going to stop about that, right? But when we're faced with something new in our lives, whether it's something that we're opting to do or something that we're being told you're going to have to do this, there is a hesitance and a resistance that comes with that because, you know, it's easier to, to go on the path of, of least resistance. So I like to help people to recognize, hey, you've overcome all of these different changes in the past. You've gone through them with varying different types of outputs, but you've made it through them before. And the same things that you used to maneuver through those changes can be used again. Welcome to Management Development Unlocked, where you will learn how to nurture a world-class management team. And now your host, Eric Gerard. Welcome back to Management Development Unlocked. I am very pleased that you are here. Big news, my book, Lead Like a Pro, The Essential Guide for New Managers, launched not long ago and hit Amazon number one bestseller and number one new release. You can get your copy at Amazon.com or at my website, GerardTrainingSolutions.com. Please remember to support the show by subscribing, commenting, and sharing. Today, I am completely stoked to have Deb Harrison with me. Deb, welcome to the show. Who are you and what do you do? Thanks, Eric, and I'm, I'm glad to be here. Congratulations on your book launch. That's exciting news. I work as a consultant and coach, and I'm also a speaker and author. And one of the core themes that runs through everything that I do is uh, growth and change, and specifically around ways that we can optimize every opportunity that we're in and every person that we interact with to learn and grow and share intelligence and knowledge that we have. So I like to help people find the gifts that they have within themselves, see the gifts that are in other people, and in that recognition, make great things happen. So whether I'm speaking, writing, consulting, or coaching, I like to focus on seeing people be their best selves. That is that is such a nice motive. And from my reading about you, I, I see that you also like to focus on kindness, which I think is sorely lacking today. You know, as we record this, there are some pretty unkind things happening in the world. So I, I love that that is your focus. Yeah, and and I and I'm glad you noted that. You know, sometimes I for, I forget to mention that as part of it. I used to just kind of think of that as almost like a, a side thing because it has always kind of weaved in and out of my life. Uh, and lately, I found myself saying it much more as consultant, coach, speaker, writer, kindness advocate. And the reason I like to say it is not because I just want people to know, hey, I'm kind, but I think like the more that we use the word kindness and the more that we normalize making that not just something nice, but that it's a priority, the more it's going to become part of our culture. And to your point, there's a lot of unkind things going on. So the more that we don't allow those things to become the oppressive force and we acknowledge that we can make a difference, the more that you're going to see people doing those acts, whether it's within their personal lives or in organizations. Yeah, and it, and it can be as simple as how you act in traffic. For example, Washington drivers are maddeningly slow, but they are very nice. They will let you in when you want to merge. And that to me is just a little a little slice of kindness in a day where you might be completely stressed out, but at least you don't have to worry about fighting to get into a lane. You know, people will let you in if you turn your blinker on. So, just little things, just little things. Just let somebody in in traffic. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And how we respond when people don't necessarily let you into traffic, right? That's the flip side of it because people have these whole backstories and things that are going on in their lives. And so when somebody doesn't hold the door open for you or doesn't let you out in traffic, rather than assuming that it's some horrible thing and they're completely ignoring you, they might be distracted. They might have just gotten really bad news. So that's another way we can be kind. If we're not the person letting the person out in traffic, if we're the recipient of the person who's blocking us, we can receive that with an open mind. Yeah. Nice point. Excellent. Well, today, Deborah, pardon me, Deb, 
today, Deb, uh, we're going to talk about navigating change as a leader, uh, both journeying through the change in title, responsibilities, and so on as a leader, and then how to assist others through organizational change. And I've got a list of questions for you. You ready? Oh, excellent. Yeah, I am. All I'm right. Ready. Let's go. So you mentioned in your intro that you you talk about growth and change. And Growth and change catalyst is a very powerful set of terms. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you do in those those arenas? Yeah, outstanding question. So, because I think when we hear the terms growth and change, and particularly, so I'll use examples because I think anecdotes are good for kind of setting the stage and giving kind of an understanding of the broad scope. So, for example, if I go into an organization, right, and sometimes when when people in an organization see, first off, you're coming in as a consultant. You're not part of this company, really, right? You're coming in and you're giving advice and you're coming in to talk about growth and change. I don't know that most people get like really stoked and excited about that, right? There's usually a sense of like, why is this person going to come in and tell me uh, what I need to do better or what I need to do different? So my goal is is not necessarily the, the total end result, right? So obviously if there's a project that somebody wants to have rolled out, so my job is to get that successfully implemented, but it's more about the journey. It's getting people to recognize and understand the way that they can grow and change through circumstances and situations in, in a path that's not going to feel as bumpy as we sometimes perceive. Because from the moment we're born, we're growing and changing. I mean, that's that's just happening. There's nothing you're going to stop about that, right? But when we're faced with something new in our lives, whether it's something that we're opting to do or something that we're being told you're going to have to do this, there is a hesitance and a resistance that comes with that because, you know, it's easier to, to go on the path of, of least resistance. So I like to help people to recognize, hey, you've overcome all of these different changes in the past. You've gone through them with varying different types of outputs, but you've made it through them before. And the same things that you used to maneuver through those changes can be used again. So it's helping people to recognize that. Uh, for an individual, that can look like helping them change careers. It can look like helping them navigate becoming a newly single parent. And in an organization, that can look like talking about changing the culture. But it's also talking about recognizing the skill sets and gifts that each person within an organization has. And somebody may be hierarchically on a, a lower position. I hate to, the term lower, but on a title position that's lower down and yet may have a brilliant idea that can create change in a amazing and astounding way that nobody would have expected. expected. So it's me going in and helping people to recognize and accept that. And that has to do with having discussions and journaling and and recognizing that the more curious we are with one another and with situations as we confront them, the better off we're going to be as we take those next steps. So that's where the catalyst comes in is helping people to see like, you've got this, right? I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make the change. You're going to make the change. I'm going to be here to help you embrace that. You've already got everything you need in order to do that. I really like your focus on curiosity there uh, toward the end. That's, that's so, so important. And it's so easy to give up or let go of curiosity when you're triggered by something, you know, when, when right. the change was the straw that broke the camel's back and you're like, ah, you know, it's really easy to, to do the opposite of being curious. Like, nope, this is the way it is. This is what I'm going to do it. And, and that's it. And curiosity right. really unlocks doors, I think. Yeah. yeah I, I recently spoke to Authority Magazine and they had asked me three characteristics that I thought helped me to be successful. And curiosity was one of those because I think, and curiosity, it helps us learn because when we enter a situation curious, we are more apt to see 
things that we might not have already been aware of and gather them. It helps us in our interactions with people because when we're curious, we're recognizing that somebody has something to teach us. So it helps those conversations. And it also helps with the kindness component, right? So if we use the example of getting cut off in traffic, if I don't approach that as I know this person's just done me wrong, they've just cut me off, but I wonder what just caused that to happen. Like, why did that person just cut me off? It helps me be more kind. So I think it's like curiosity just has this amazing ability to help us be our best versions. Yeah, I love it. Great emphasis. All right. Well, my next question for you is is tied to this one. And that is that many of my listeners are just stepping into leadership positions. That's the, the whole focus of the show, right? So from your experience, what are the most common misperceptions or misconceptions new managers have about leadership? So I think one of the things that I found has been consistent, whether the person, and it even could be somebody who's been a leader for quite some time, but they're just shifting their focus or they're moving to a different department, for example, is that I I think mentors are phenomenal, right? It's great to have people that guide and give us advice, but I think that we should always remember that the advice comes with advice from that person's perspective and that we should be true to ourselves. So you may have a leader that you truly admire. And if they can pass on wisdom to you about different tasks or tactics that you can use as you approach your new role, that's fantastic. You want to hear those different pieces of advice, but you also want to remain true to yourself, right? You want to make sure that you're keeping your authentic self in that. So you've got to take that advice and not just try to plug it in with your identity, but make sure that it fits who you are. Because I do think that sometimes new leaders have this expectation that what they're going to look like as a leader is going to be very specific, whether it's because of expectations other people have put on them or expectations that they've put on themselves. And so it's being very mindful that the advice that you're taking, you're taking again with the notion that you're going to want to be your authentic self and and your leader in that what has worked for somebody else may not work for you. When you try to apply things that work for other people that aren't part of your natural routine, I mean, again, there are times we have to adapt and adjust, but sometimes it just creates more of a confusion and chaos for yourself as you're developing and growing and for your team because they feel that. They feel that you're trying to be something that you're not. So that's definitely something I would say, remaining true to who you are, keeping authenticity, and the right and responsibility to continue learning and growing, right? The end goal is not landing that leadership role. That's just part of your path and your journey, right? So you're going to continue to learn and grow. You can say to people as often as needed, I don't know, I don't understand. Can you help me, right? Those those phrases don't get removed from your vocabulary because now you're a leader. You're still able to not have the answers to things and able to share that with your team, whether it's people that are on the same level as you, or it's people that you're managing, that you should continue to have that thirst to learn and be very, very open and honest with people about things that you're not clear on. And I do think that those are two big things that I find a lot, people trying to fit into a box that that may not be natural to them and feeling like now I'm in this leadership role. So I'm going to prove myself by making sure that nobody thinks I don't have the answers when I think that again, curiosity, right, is critical. So those would be two really big misconceptions. I think also it's uh, the pace at which we make changes because when people step into these new manager roles, part of assessment, sometimes it's even very formalized, right? In six months, we're going to review how you've done as a new leader. And so you start to feel this pressure of, 
I need to accomplish a certain number of things at a certain pace. And you become so focused on that pace of change, of being able to leave an impact that you can look back and say, see what I just did. This didn't exist before and it exists now that I'm here that we lose sight of that some of what we do as a leader is to continue things forward in the path that they're already in and make sometimes just tiny little incremental changes that can make a huge difference. But it doesn't always necessarily have to mean you've got this gigantic change that you have that's going to be part of your, you know, your six month reflection is to say, I I did this big thing. Yeah, I I completely agree. Sometimes the best thing you can do is is seek to understand first and understand the system that's in place first and then make your small changes once you you thoroughly understand how things were before you got there. One thing I want to add to what you said is in addition to being your authentic self, I think that there's value in understanding how different people want to be led and uh, how people want to be understood. So for example, I'm a huge advocate of DISC and situational leadership. And I love those because they put the onus on the manager to understand the other person and then make tweaks to get the most out of those folks. And I think we can marry DISC and SL2 with your focus on be yourself. So you're not trying to be somebody fake. You're not trying to be somebody you're not. But I am approaching you differently than I'm going to approach, you know, my publicist, for example, just just based on the the way that we're interacting right now. It's like, okay, you know, this is this is how I'm starting to get a feel for Deb versus what I would say to Bill. So I think those two things can coexist. Yeah, that's brilliant. And I think, you know, briefly before um, we teed up, you know, you and I were talking about our our joint emphasis on multiculturalism, right? I mean, that fits perfectly right Mm -hmm. here. And that notion that particularly like as an educator, so I started off my career as a teacher, but it's almost like I don't like to say that because I don't think I ever stopped being a teacher. I think I'm a forever teacher and a forever student for my whole life, everything that I do. But that idea that there are multiple ways of learning, there are multiple ways of doing And that we can't expect what's going to, to your point, what's going to work for one person is going to work for somebody else. And I like, even when I do project management, right? Like some of the projects that I do at companies, I like to ask people, do you want to be communicated via text, email, or phone? Right. And it seems like such a, like a simple thing. But again, if you know that somebody is not comfortable talking on the phone, then text them, right? You're going to get the results. And if it's going to help that person to feel more comfortable. So yeah, I think that that's you know, really outstanding that you said that. Now, is that something that you t- that you talk about regularly? That idea of, I could tell because you could see like a little glow in your eyes when you mentioned that. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of DISC and SL2. Uh, I use DISC a lot okay. in in my management programs, and and often will incorporate DISC into a management program in order to to help folks see how to get the most out of uh, their teams. So I just, yeah. I love it. It's good stuff. And, you know, every so often, every so often somebody will push back and say, I don't really believe in this personality assessment stuff. And I'm like, well, you know, perceive this as a work styles preferences inventory then, you know, like I'm not trying to, to put you in a box, but I am trying to help you understand yourself at work and how you can adjust your approach to other people at work in order for things to go right. more smoothly. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, good, good. I kind of figured that our discussions would do that. They would meander a little bit. So that's good. Yeah. Nice. Well, let's talk about coaching for a little bit. How do you approach coaching new managers, especially when they're feeling overwhelmed or uncertain in their roles? Because that is very, very common. Somebody gets promoted and they're like, oh my goodness, I had no idea. 
Right. So one of the things that I like to do, and I like to do this with new managers and just in general with people with change is have people make a list of other times. So first it's just, what are the emotions we're feeling? Right. So if actually we go back to the basics, your initial question, right? The person comes to you, they're feeling overwhelmed. So like, let's own it. Because again, there's that reluctance as a leader to kind of be comfortable saying, I, I feel overwhelmed. I feel vulnerable because I'm in this leadership position. So let's list it. What are you feeling? What are those emotions you're feeling? And to that end, when those things start to come out, the feeling overwhelmed, the feeling confused, the the not sure what to do with next steps is when are other times in your life that you have felt that way? Because we have all encountered times in our lives where we have felt overwhelmed and it may not have been stepping into a leadership role, right? But, but there's times when we felt that. And what were the characteristics or skill sets that you used in those situations to get through them? And those are the same things. So it's, it's, I think sometimes there's this like, well, this is situational. This is my first time in a leadership role. So I have no idea what I'm doing. Okay. Maybe you don't know what it's like to step into a leadership role, but you know what it's like to be uncomfortable and to get through it. Cause we have all been uncomfortable. If you've never been uncomfortable before in your life, I really would like to know how you, how you manage that. Most people, I would say, if not all people have had multiple periods where they have been uncomfortable in a situation. So we talk through what were the things that you used. And again, a lot of the the similar terms that we've talked about already come up is, you know, learning from people and being curious and taking time to pause and think about things. And so once we've kind of got those basic skills, we can start to talk about what that's going to look like in action. And it's going to be different per person. Sometimes people are coming into a leadership role And it's not a great situation, right? Maybe the previous leader was not doing a great job and they've been brought in to try to fix something and there's a lot of distress going on. Or maybe it's a new role and there's not a lot of distress and they're kind of making the role. There's a lot of different circumstances. So there's not really a, as I know you know, there's not really a one size fits all approach to like, here's the book, you're a leader, you got this. It's a like, let's dialogue about it. So once we've kind of got the, this is what you're feeling, this is how you felt this before and gone through it, What does this look like in action? So let's say, for example, if you're the new leader in the situation where there's a lot of tension and there's a lot of stress and there's uncertainty and people are uh, maybe not even unhappy with you as a leader specifically being in that role, but are unhappy with what's been going on. So we're going to talk through, well, what are some conversations we can have with people to understand where they're coming from? What are some, what are some people that you've seen be successful in this type of situation that we can reach out to and have you talk to? And across the board, really, what are some things you can do just personally in order to make sure that you're taking care of and attending to your mental well-being in the midst of this stress? Because you don't stop becoming important because you're leading other people. If anything, it becomes even more important for you to make sure that you're modeling for your teams that you've got to take care of yourself, right? You've got to be aware of that. So we do a lot of a lot of action steps, right? It's here's the actual kind of general. All I need to make sure that I ask the right questions. Okay, well, let's talk now. Who's the person that you're going to ask those questions to? What are some of the questions that you need answered? And what I love, and this is really when you look back at a lot of areas of your life, and one of the reasons I, I like that I kind of did a lot of project management when I got started is once you start to put that stuff down, even when it's as simple as I'm going to ask Bob this question tomorrow, it feels less overwhelming because you have an act, an actual step and because the individuals are creating and generating those themselves. I'm not telling them what question to ask and who to speak to. They're saying, hey, this is the question I have. This is the person that I need to ask. It's very empowering. And they realize that they do have more control and ability of themselves, of their ability to be successful than they may have perceived prior to that. 
You know, I, I love your focus on self care as a manager, and and that's one of the that's one of the drums that I bang is that as a as a manager as a leader you must take care of yourself, and I make it a point to model that to my team. I've got a, a team of three contractors who work for me, and I shout it from the rooftops on LinkedIn. You know, I'll tell my team, "Hey, I'm going to go take a mental health weekend in a log cabin by a stream, and I'm going to bring my stuff with me, but." I'm going to really try not to work much in a way that impacts you anyway. So if you get an email from me, ignore it for the weekend, respond on Monday. Otherwise I'm going to be, you know, taking a nap and hanging out by the stream. And then I will even make it a point of saying on LinkedIn, Hey everybody, this is where I am. You know, I'm on this, in this cool place, hanging out, chilling out, kind of advertising the fact that I'm taking some time off. And as a business owner, it's it's impossible for me anyway to completely unplug. I'm trying to get better at that. But by sort of making myself accountable to my team and to my followers on LinkedIn, I'm less likely to go get stuck into a project and ignore my family for the weekend. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. Now, I love what you said, because there's three there's three things that branch off from that when it comes to expectations and what you just said. So one was the um, don't respond to my email. Right. And I think that that's really important, too, because I think within teams, particularly when you take on a leadership role. So if Deb, as just a member of the team, sends an email at 10 o'clock at night, the team may be like, OK, Deb is working, whatever. But when the leader does it, there does become like this, like, oh, shoot, I got to respond because the leader just messaged me. So I love to say that to people like, look, sometimes during the day I've got something going on. So I'm working at night and I'm going to send an email. That doesn't mean that you have to be working that time. So like that expectation, showing people that uh, that respects their space. And it also lets them respect the fact that like you're better off sending the emails at 10 o'clock. You don't want to send the set up the scheduled email. You just want to get them out the door. So it's understanding expectations, which is then also in addition to that modeling, right? That it's important to understand that we all have different expectations and that we're able to have different periods of time we can work. That creates a culture of trust, and it fosters what you were talking about before, that we've got different personality types and different things that we like, and that's the way that we're going to do it. And then I think from a coaching perspective, you know, one of my friends said something to me relatively recently, and I thought I was like, well, well said. I was, to your point, struggling with taking time off because, again, I think when you're a coach and when you're a consultant and when it's your own business, there is a lot of that overlap that happens, and you want to make sure you're available. And I said, yeah, I, you know, I, I've really just got to take a few days out of office. And she said to me, one of the things you talk about a lot when you're coaching and consulting is, and in your writing is, is the need to self have self-care. And I'm like, yeah, she's like, so don't you think it's probably good that you're modeling that? And I was like, ah, good point, right? We can't say things to people and tell people things that, that are important if we're not doing them ourselves. And I think even like you're saying, I have a hard time with that. That in of itself is taking care of yourself. You're acknowledging that you're struggling with it. Perfection's not necessarily what we're hoping for. We're hoping for effort. And so the more you say stuff like that to people, the more you encourage and empower them to say those things. And that's that's beautiful, right? When we can give people permission to say things by saying them ourselves. Yeah. I have twin 14-year-old daughters, so sometimes... Sometimes that sort of thing would get thrown back at me. I don't know if anybody else can relate to this, but but it happens to me. But still, I mean, you know, sending the message that I am trying um, to right. set an example. I am trying to improve, and and you know, let's look for incremental improvement. One of the things that I teach uh, in scuba, I'm a scuba instructor. One of the things I teach is that perfection is not required. Mastery is different than perfection, and right. you know, so demonstrating that you can clear your mask when it's got water in it 
Not that you do it exactly the way I do it, because I've got a, a sequence of things that I do, but can you get the water out of your mask so that you can safely continue your dive? Yes or no? Yes? Okay, great. Right. You've mastered it. You don't have to be perfect at it. Just do it well enough. And that's that's right. what we're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think scoop is just a great analogy in general when you think about it, right? I mean, the whole, the whole, and I, I've never scuba dived. I've snorkeled. I realize that scuba diving is completely separate from snorkeling, but oh, I understand the out. science of it enough. I know, you but to go think to the about tropics someplace and learn how to dive. I'm telling you, I should. All right. All right. I'm on it. I'm on it. But the the science of it, right? That you have to take you have to take your time and be mindful of your body and how you're feeling as you go down and as you as you go up. Right. You can't just make the adjustment. And every dive from friends I have that have that have done it right. Every dive is different because because what the water temperature is that day, what you're feeling that day, what the you know, all these other external factors. So every time you're in that situation, doing what in effect you have been trained for and know how to do, you still have to be aware and be willing to adapt and change what may have worked in the past to fit the situation or bad things can happen, right? I mean, if you go up, up too fast, down too fast, bad things can happen. So that mindfulness in everything that we do, um, as we're growing as a leader and that what works one day may not work the next day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mindfulness is a good way to put it. And just like in yoga, moving slow, being deliberate, good stuff. All right. Well, Deb, let's close on a personal story. So could okay. you could you please share a personal story? Um, and let's talk about let's talk about driving change in this one. So a personal story okay. where recognizing and utilizing resources played a pivotal role in managing a difficult situation or in driving change. Ooh, okay. So this is a good one. So, um, when I started, there was a particular client that I was working with and they had a, a low budget in terms of the amount of resources that they could bring on. And the project that was being carried out was, was big one. Um, and it was clear to me. And then the conversations that I was having that my, that my thoughts about, well, maybe we should talk about readjusting the budget to bring on additional staff was, was not going to be the best angle. Right. And we've all been in those situations where, you know, the budget conversations, not the conversation that's happening right now. So it was, I think they were kind of looking at it as we don't have the budget for these roles. Therefore we're not going to include these roles. And instead of thinking, well, we don't have the budget to bring on additional people, but who do we have currently here who may know how to do that and may be able to be moved into that role. And this is, this is just happens to be one of the things that I really love a lot. So it fit nicely is that if people are at ent entry level positions, we're say, for example, and they've been in an entry level position for a long time, and that could happen for a variety of reasons. They may not want to have moved positions. Perhaps their department is structured as such that they just weren't seen as having the opportunity for growth. But so we, you, we have to consider that whether somebody has been in a specific role for a certain amount of time or has ever had an opportunity to show that skill set, we still should consider that as a person at that organization, they may be right there being able to do it. And so we started kind of doing this analysis and meeting with people and talking about what interested them and what skill sets they had that they maybe weren't using and finding that many of the tasks that needed to get accomplished by people that again had been deemed as we, we don't have the resources to bring this particular role on were within the organization already. 
And it was the, the ripple effects was so incredible because you had the people who were being brought into these new roles, feeling empowered, feeling seen and recognized, right? So they were feeling good about the situation. Uh, the, we were able to get things done without, you know, pressuring on the budget and having those kinds of conversations. And it changed the culture because in the past they had done things where they may have asked, done surveys and asked people how they were feeling or what they were thinking. But a lot of times those surveys kind of like went into the inbox and that's where they sat. But because we were now starting to really have these conversations with people to understand what they had been doing, what they could be doing, the potential for growth, uh, a lot of the things that had been buried in the past started to come to the surface, frustrations that they might have felt or, or suggestions that they had. So it just it, it really steamrolled in a positive way. So I would say that was really one of the things that I think back on the best because there was just so much growth that happened because of just asking people you know, what, what are you, what could you do that you're not doing now? What are some skills that you think aren't being used? Yeah. That reminds me of some work by a friend of mine, Darren Nerland, all about skills mapping and just getting really clear on what are your skills? What are the skills of the organization? Right. What are the skills that are going to be required in the future, the next six months, 12 months? And do we already have them? Is there an inventory that says, yeah, we've actually already got this or we could develop it without growing the org? Which, which sounds right. like was really important in your case. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think those, and those conversations just have a way of evolving into, to so many different areas of improvement, because once you recognize that there may be things that you're not aware of that were there all along, you start to go, Oh, like where, what else are we doing that we maybe could be maximizing better. And so it, it, it just, it's got that multiplying effect. Yeah. Multiplying effect. That's exactly what I was thinking. Nice. Okay. Well, Deb, let's talk about you. Tell us about your coaching and consulting services. So I currently have, uh, do a variety of different things. So the consulting on the consulting component, I work with organizations. I go in and I help them where they're having some type of, of, I shouldn't say having an issue because it's not always an issue. Sometimes it's just a, it's just a, it's a project that they need to roll out, helping to make sure that projects can get rolled out, um, helping to navigate where there may be sometimes, unfortunately layoffs and they want to look at ways to do that. That's going to be fair and respectful to everybody. And on the coaching component, helping people to navigate if it's something that they're either asking to do. So sometimes people know that they want to pivot in their career or sometimes they've just lost their job and they're not sure what their next steps are. So I do have some availability with the coaching. I try to limit how many clients I take on at a time, less just about time, although that's certainly a component of it. But I want to make sure that I'm my brain bandwidth is always at its optimal when I'm considering people's big decisions or organizations' big decisions. On on the writing front, I'm working on some books that have been kind of, I want to say, been writing inside of me since I was a kid. And for a variety of different circumstances, I hadn't really taken the time to let that all come out. And that's finally happening. So I'm exciting. I know that you just had the book launch. So I know that you can relate to that. It's, I kind of say it's like, I, it's not that I'm finally becoming a writer. I've been a writer my whole life. And the writer in me was like, let me out or we're going to have a problem. So I have a poetry book that's going to be coming out. And then some anecdotal stuff that's going to talk a little bit about some different experiences I had in my life and what I learned from them. And bringing that to the stage as much as possible, right? I do workshops, but I'd like to get, I'd like to get out and get on some more stages and share some of those things and see if there's some opportunities for me to hopefully inspire some folks to get out and 
shine their lights in their best ways possible. So if, if certainly if anybody is interested or even just wants to hop on a quick call, like maybe they think, Hey, that sounds interesting. I'm not really sure I want to work with a consultant or a coach. I'm all about having conversations. We learn from every conversation that we have. So I would encourage people to reach out. And if there's something that we can collaborate on, great. And if it's just a conversation that we get to have, that's fantastic as well. Right on. Really cool. Well, offline, when we're done recording, we can talk about publishing and what I've learned through that process. Well, Deb, thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation. How can people find you if they want to get in touch and talk about coaching or consulting? Excellent. So I would say, but the probably the easiest way only because then you'll get all my social media links is if you go to my website, it's dharrisonpvd.com. So P is in purpose, V is in vision, D is in drive. If you go to my website, you can see all my social media links, but the easiest, if you want to just go direct to social media is at dharrisonpvd on Facebook, Facebook, excuse me, and on Instagram. I'm on all the platforms, but I think those are the two that people generally reach out on. And then LinkedIn, it's Deb Harrison. I would love to hear from them. Okay, awesome. Well, hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe, comment, share, and connect with me on LinkedIn and pick up my new book, Lead Like a Pro, The Essential Guide for New Managers, available on Amazon and GerardTrainingSolutions.com. We will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Management Development Unlocked. Want more? Get a ton of insider tips and tools at GerardTrainingSolutions.com. Solutions.com.